Listen to Melanated Mom's podcast because she has something to say. Oh, yeah. I'm a melanated mom working hard as can be. I show up for my children while showing up for me. I'm a melanated, melanated, melanated mom. Hey, mamas. As you know, this is not Tracy. This is her husband, George. And I will be helping with the Melanated Mom podcast for the next couple of weeks. Tracy's going to take a little time out to focus a little bit more on herself, on family and uh, some other things. And uh, she let me run the podcast. So I am going to be bringing you a couple of episodes. So uh, help me out here. This is my first time on her podcast. Well, not my first time, but my first time hosting her podcast. I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of episodes. I'm going to run the ship for a little while. But this week, I know she does. She is having a collab with Dem Black Mamas on Matinees with Mamas. And that is a free event to watch the movie Ease By You. Together, you guys can watch uh, Ease By You, enjoy some mimosas, and there will be some giveaways. So you'll want to look for that. Look for the link in the show notes posted below and hopefully we will see you during that time i'd like to send out a couple of shout outs first the reality bites podcast um, i know my wife is always on the phone with javon that's one of her girls from back east i also want to shout out the wine time podcast and it's uh tracy's on live with her on thursdays She's always talking about the Mermaid and the Lion podcast with Angel. So I just wanted to shout out those uh, podcasts for now. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Melanated Mom podcast, where we raise creative, innovative, and independent thinkers. But in the process, we make sure that we always are thinking about ourselves as well. So this is going to be one of those interviews where we are thinking about our daughters, but we're also thinking about ourselves as well. And I have Rondell Martin here today to talk to us about protecting Black women. Um, Dale and I met on Instagram where all the good relationships are formed, okay? <laughs> I love Instagram. <laughs> and so met her as Daily Dale, and Dale is like doing all the things. So I want to have her introduce herself to you and tell her, tell you what she's up to and um, just all the things that she has been about since she has been on her journey to finding out exactly who she is and what she wants to explore. Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy, for having me here. I'm excited. And like Tracy said, Instagram is lit. So <laughs> for great relationships. But as she said, my name is Rondell Martin, and I'm the creator and founder of the lifestyle brand, uh, Daily Dell, and it's a lifestyle and single motherhood Christian brand. So that pretty much just like chronicles my life as a single mother, my faith, you know, topics I'm passionate about, such as protecting Black women, which we'll be talking about today. But then I also have just started becoming uh, my life coaching practice. So I'm a life coach for Christian moms as well. And I'm really excited for all that's coming down that pike and just being able to really work with women one-on-one -on -one and groups and just really help them like take their passion and purpose and start living that out in so many different ways and showing up boldly 
But I also helped my mom with her stuff. So my mom <laughs> caters and cooks and Tracy was in our last cooking class. So as she said, I'm kind of doing all of the things, but it's all my passions. And I'm just blessed to be able to be in this um, sector in my life where I can monetize my passions and I can speak on things that I'm passionate about. So that is me in a nutshell. I also live in the Atlanta area, but I'm originally from the DC area. So haven't even been down here a year yet. So yeah, you guys, we'll talk about it at the end again, because I don't want you to forget, but you guys got to go follow her. Y'all have to go follow Mama Martin on Instagram because we had such a lit time in this cooking class. Let me tell you guys, I was like a chef for the day. I told Dale, look, don't make my husband give me another baby doing all this good cooking out here, okay? (laughs) We are not responsible for any babies. So, yeah, we, we're going to talk about all that again at the end and um, also put our information in the show notes. But I want to jump into the meat of what we have to talk about today, because, man, with everything that's going on right now, I think this is so important. And so I'm titling the episode Protecting Black Girls and Black Women because we both need so much protection. And over mm-hmm. the years, it just not hasn't been given to us. I mean, I'm like, who cares about us? Okay, so that's always my running thing. Like, yes, we like we like really stand up for the black men. I feel black women, we really like put it out there for the black men. But sometimes I don't feel like in return, we often get that same love shown back to us. And mm-hmm. it, it really has created a problem in so many areas of my life, I know. And I'm sure that there's women out there that feel the same way. So, Dale, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that we have been protected over the years by Black men? I feel like at some point we probably were, but I feel like in this day and age um, and in my lifetime, I'm in my 30s, for those who don't know, I just have not seen it in the grander scheme of things as a collective. I feel like when it comes down to maybe men that you know, that you're related to, sure, you know, for the most part, because even with that, there's issues, which I'll get to in a little bit. But for the most part, I think a lot of us can say, okay, yeah, I know my dad will protect me. I know my brother will protect me or my uncles. But I really feel like there is a gap there. And I feel like a lot of Black women can agree with what you just said. Like, we are almost always showing up in the you know drop of a dime for our black men but a lot of times it falls short for black women who need that same protection or that same you know advocacy for their own rights their own protection you know so um i I don't know if i'm going to be jumping ahead when i say this but i just want to say like recently with the whole george floyd um being killed by the cops and you know then before that was ahmaud and around the same time or right before after was brianna taylor but personally i know from my observations and other women that i've talked to i did not see a lot of advocacy for Brianna until George Floyd was killed. And then it was like, oh, by the way, let's talk about Brianna too. So I feel like that situation is what amplified a lot of Black women to say, wait a minute now, <laughs> we out in the streets, we're marching, we're taking rubber bullets to the head, we doing the most. And you know, we want to protect our, our Black community, our Black men, but why wasn't this same energy given to Breonna Taylor, who has been killed now for 90-something days, 100 days back in June, and now we're looking at, I don't even know how many days. So I feel like that's just one little example that really resonated with Black women to say, you know what, this is a bigger problem. You know what, that's good. And I don't even think I had thought of it from that standpoint about how it didn't really become important until he passed away. And that should never be a thing. 
Like mm-hmm. this woman <laughs> was sleeping, you know, doing her own thing. And here it is. And even if she wasn't like, let's let me go back there. Like all these black people dying just because they may have committed a crime at some time. That's not a reason to die. So let me make sure that I say that as well. But yeah, it seems as if, you know, it didn't become like limelight until something else had to happen. And I feel like that's so much of what our lives look like in every day. Right. You don't become important until something else happens. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that black girl. <laughs> let me get, yeah. let me show her a little bit of love. Let me show her a little bone and show her that she's, you know, she's important to our community, too. And we've been, look, we've been showing up for people since forever. I yeah. mean, that is what we do. It's just so much innate in us about everything. I mean, we'll show up for every community. We'll support everything. And then when we need the support, even from each other. Now, let me get real yeah. on that. Even from each other as Black women, like sometimes we don't even show up for each other. And I'm like, we need to get rid of all this. Because right. how much could we be doing? How much stronger could we be together with Black men and Black women on the side of a Black woman? Because exactly. we have so much to offer, but we're so divided in so many areas that we can't even move forward. So that's yeah. so problematic. It is. And honestly, like when you had sent me the the topic for today, I like to kind of break down words and their origin and all of that to understand the real meaning and the heart of it. So I looked up the definition of protection or protect, and it stems from a Latin word, protegere or something. I don't know how you say it, but it's like protegere or protegere. And it basically means to cover or to be in front of and to keep away from harm or injury. So when I started thinking about, okay, so if we're protecting Black women, and that means that somebody needs to be able to cover us, somebody needs to be able to shield us from harm, whether that's physical harm, whether that's mental and emotional harm, sexual harm, you know, adultification, whatever it is. And it's like a lot of times we don't get that, but we are that for everybody else. We're expected to be there for everybody else. We're expected to step up and help everyone. But for us, it's like, oh, she's strong. She doesn't need that help. She's good. And even with each other, like you said, it becomes kind of like a a backbiting thing where it's like, well, I'm not going to be there to uplift my and affirm my Black sisters because now I see them as competition or I I got my own stuff going on. And so it creates this really bad effect of just like self-centeredness, but lack of protection, that lack of covering, you know, I don't, and that's the problem. It's like, I legitimately do not, I can't say I feel covered by black men as a collective, you know, personally, I, I just can't. And this is such a side note, like nothing that we even said that we were going to discuss today, but if I'm thinking like, you know, everybody should be connected to the Lord. You know, I know we both Christian women, but I think that's why our connection as black women always seems so much stronger because we have to feel protection from somewhere, right? right. So we like, okay, so Jesus got my back. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> nobody else in this piece taking care of me. I know that Jesus is taking care of me. And you know, like a lot of black women go really hard for believing in Christianity and centering themselves in that, because I know that there's been many times that I felt so alone. And like the only person that I feel like show up for me is God. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Like not that that's a problem. Like God, you know, he got everything, but still, can I get somebody on the earth to show up for me? Like, exactly. can, can I get important on this side of heaven or something? I'm like, right. dang. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I know that's definitely been 
my feeling like ever since I moved down here, because you know the story, but for those who are listening that don't know, like my family moved from the, well, Central Virginia, because I'm from D.C., but I was living in the Central Virginia area. We moved from there to Atlanta after prayer, fasting, you know, long story short, God gave me the revelation, like, you got to move to Atlanta. This is where I'm calling you. So when we moved here, and this is a prime example of not being protected by a man. One of my cousins that lives down here, very successful man, very successful, can definitely, he definitely could have come in and helped us settle in. He was kind of the driving force for us to get down here. And he kept urging like, oh yeah, you should come, this, that, that. We even came, spent time with him before we moved, scoped out the area, all that. When our U-Haul was packed and I was driving down to Atlanta with my son and my mom, my sister was already on the bus, the Greyhound, already down here. Then we get told that the house we applied for, they want like $7,000, $8,000 more on the spot. Otherwise, they're not giving us a house and they were only going to lease it to us for six months and then reconsider, which we would have had to pay more again six months later. So now we're in a position where we're homeless. We ain't got no home after we were pretty much guaranteed for the most part that we would get the home to the realtors, you know, knowledge. They didn't say it, but, you know, they were confident. And we were calling this cousin, texting him, hey, we're down here. This happened, that happened. Went ghost, absolutely ghost. He knows my mom has health issues. He know, he met my son. He knows my son is young. He knew we had limited funds. We sat down with him months before when we were in his house and said, hey, if we're going to make this move and you're like, yeah, I'm going to help in this, that, the third, you need to stick by that. We cannot have you like promise stuff that you're not going to follow through on. We ended up homeless for almost two months, like just over a month and a half. Didn't answer the phone, did nothing at all. When we finally got him on the phone, it was because my aunt in Guyana, where my family's from, called him because she works with him on his business dealings down there. And she kind of like was going off because my mom is her older sister. Then he finally came out of guilt and he still didn't come with a solution. He came basically trying to get us to give him money to help for him to help us get settled and not be homeless. Mm -hmm. So that's a prime example of a lack of protection on so many different ways. If it wasn't for my brother knowing people and having connections, we probably would have been under a bridge. Like the homeless population down here is crazy because it's so much going on. So we probably would have been in a shelter if we were fortunate or under a bridge. It's only because my brother knew people that he was able to get us some hotel discounts, but it was still stressful because every two days we're packing up, moving to another place. Don't know who you're rooming with. Don't know the neighborhood, all sorts of stuff. So, and this person knew this and did not care because it was like, oh, well, you know, they got it. They'll, they'll figure it out. It's right. So you know, so it's, I, I feel that where it's like, you're in this season where you feel like, Literally, no one has it but God, because it was literally a situation where it was like my brother and God. That's it. <laughs> Nobody right. else, you know. And then if you reverse that situation in any way, like we would have put ourselves completely out almost to help the next person to yes. make sure that they were OK, you know, and yes. that that's the part of it that's so disturbing to me. I mean, I'm like, I'm not like this tip or tap person, like I'm not doing stuff for you because you're doing stuff for me. But the thing about it is that I never felt like you did stuff for me just on the strength, right. just on the strength of you being another black person just on the strength of you being my family member. Like, I just never mm -hmm. felt like you cared enough to do that. So that is a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And so with that, I'm going to try to jump into some of the stuff that we actually have on the list, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we got a whole list of stuff and we fired up already on some other stuff. <laughs> so Dell, so, hey, girl, you just gave it the time where you felt unprotected. Like, 
with the mm-hmm. whole thing with your cousin, like, did you want to share any other instance of a time that you may have felt unprotected by a black man? Yes, I actually have um, one example in particular. I want to, I got to turn the pages in my notes, y'all, because I got four pages. <laughs> I can't <She> read <laughs> But two times I actually felt unprotected. One was with my first adult boyfriend. I dated him when I was 20. And um, I felt very unprotected because, like I said, going back to the definition of protection, that includes everything, not only physical, but you got to protect my emotions, my mental, all of that. And with him, it was a very emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. I vividly can remember times where we would be good and, you know, everything's fine. He's in love with me. And then all of a sudden he just flips like a light switch. And it's like, he's berating me and talking down about me and calling me out my name. And, and it just was very toxic. And it always had me kind of chasing a moving goalpost. Like, well, maybe it was what I wore today, or maybe he didn't like that. I didn't do this or that. And I was always in this position of just like, it's me. It's not him. I'm the problem. So I felt very unprotected with that. And he was always comparing me to other women too. And then another time I felt unprotected was actually when I was working in the government. I was on my way home one time. And for those of you who haven't been to DC, I worked near the White House and, you know, there's various train stations around there. But where if you're from DC, this was off of like K Street and and 13th Street. So there's this park called, um, I think it's McPherson Park or something. And a lot of homeless people used to be in this park because there used to be a homeless shelter right next to where my agency was. But um, Fenty had shut it down. So they used to just kind of be roaming in the park and around the stations. So one night there was a known like belligerent and violent homeless man that kept getting arrested and put out on the street after time. He was out there and I walked the long way on purpose, but he it's almost like, I guess he followed me. And next thing you know, he's attacking me. Like he physically attacked me. And there, it was a crowded street because this was not late night. This was probably like five o'clock or something, six mm-hmm. o'clock. So it was still crowded. People were still coming and going out of work and restaurants and stuff. So everyone pretty much saw, but no one jumped in. And the sad part is a lot of the people in that crowd were Black men. And it, that's just facts. That's not me trying to be mean. They were Black men and they did not step in. Finally, when someone did step in and noticed, it was a man of another ethnicity that stepped in. He was like, are you okay? Like, you know, and kind of diffused the situation. But even still, I don't know if he saw it from the beginning or not. But needless to say, I was on my own. Like I had to fight this man off of me. So I didn't get, you know, my wallet stolen or beat up or anything on the street. And I felt very unprotected. I mean, it got to the point where I legitimately would go like an extra mile or two to a whole nother station on the opposite side, just so that I didn't have to cross this park and come into any more encounters like that. You know, where I would ask the security because my agency had security. I would ask them if they would like escort me and stuff, or I would even just get an Uber or a Lyft. And then eventually, you know, when I got in a relationship, I would have my boyfriend come and pick me up because it's like, I'm not even going to risk it because next time who knows if i'll make it out <laughs> you know so right that's that, those are two examples two more examples and then just like very scary you know and it's like almost like you said like we're so strong like we don't get afraid of things like things don't rattle us i think that we may present very differently because we've had to mm-hmm. there's been no other choice to present but as if you got this because i can't sit here and lay down and be weak about it right so yeah. I'm just going to have to keep going. And that's, this is a whole nother thing, but you know how white women, they able to cry a couple of tears and everybody comes to their rescue. Mm -hmm. 
we cry some tears. Don't nobody do nothing. They look the right. other way. Like <laughs> it ain't no big <laughs> deal. Like you crying, like what's wrong with you? You right. it's like get it together. Quick. Exactly. You don't have t- recovery time. It's like right now. We need you to recover right on time. And I'm like, dang, can I just get a minute to like be in my feelings? Like mm-hmm. everybody get a minute to be in their feelings. And I don't get a minute to be in my feelings. So right. I definitely understand that. I, I I was thinking of a time where I was a girl. And this has stuck with me so much. You know how when you're a little kid and you don't really know that something is inappropriate, but it is inappropriate. And when you think back on it as an adult, you're like, that person shouldn't have been doing that, right? So I was being babysat by um, a friend of the family who was a um, teenage boy, right? And I was always over there with them. So that was like no big deal. But this one day he had a friend over there. And the friend was like, I might have been like around seven or eight years old, but the friend was like picking me up and he kept tickling me and he kept getting really close to me. But Dale, it was so inappropriate. Like Mm. he should not have been like doing those things that he was doing to me. And I, when I thought back on it, like even like at 15 or 16 years old, I thought about how that could have went so wrong, right? In so many situations. And this other boy, he's just a teenager. So he don't, he's not really paying attention in the way that he should have, or not even really watching me. He wasn't really watching Mm -hmm. me. And so I'm like thinking about like these situations that young girls may be in and people feel like it's appropriate for them to treat their bodies or use adultication on them because they look like a more mature person, like at eight years old, I had like a little body, right? So Mm -hmm. I just felt so unprotected in that state. And I'm like, you know, how many girls get caught up in this situation every day, like black girls, and it goes way further than when it went, what it went with me, because Mm -hmm. that was so uncomfortable to me as a 16 year old. And I thought about that my whole entire life. I'm 46 years old. And I can still remember that like it happened yesterday. Mm. So those instances happen to black girls way too much. And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen to white women as well. It happens to them. But I think that the fact of it is, is that no one, lots of times people don't believe us. Yeah. And then the second thing that we're talking about is people don't protect us even after they know about it. And that's a problem. Like I never told my mom about that. I never even mentioned it to her. I might've mentioned it to her as an adult, but as a kid, I never went back and mentioned it. And even when I started to feel like weird about it, I never went back and mentioned it to her. But sometimes I think that we're afraid that people won't believe us. Like we already know that we won't be believed. Right. Mm -hmm. So we just don't say anything. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, like it's, it's actually interesting because I was looking it up and the Institute of Women's Policy Research said that 40% of Black women will actually experience some sort of like bringing it back to the physical harm and the sexual. They will experience phys- uh, domestic violence compared to 31.5% of all other women. But even on the sexual, um, 35% of Black women will experience some form of sexual violence or like just stepping over the line compared to their counterparts, you know? And then some of this even ends up being coercive because what can happen in situations like that is that if you're older, like um, with coercive sexual advances where you feel like tricked or, you know, almost pressured to have sex in a non-physical way, they're pressuring you. You can end up feeling pressure where it might start off as like, oh yeah, I'm tickling you. Or if you're older, where we're just chilling, 
watching a movie or whatever. And then next thing you know, you kind of feel that pressure. I know for me, I've been in situations where you do feel that pressure, that expectation to commit or do a sexual act, you know, and don't let it be a situation where you are like, maybe this person is your, your transportation. Maybe, you know, they gave you a ride or you need them for some other thing. And so you're like, they bought you food, you know, or like you you bought me food. Like that's not, (laughs) that doesn't necessarily mean that we're in this situation now. Right. Exactly. You know, or they might even threaten you like, Oh, if you don't, I'll say this or that. So that can, those little situations like with the tickling and stuff can lead to those sexual coercive situations. And that's uh, for black women. I believe is 40 to 60% have experienced that where they're like, you know what, that was a situation where it was sexual coercion or where it was like sexual harassment or, you know, and it's just, these numbers are crazy. That's so many of us, anywhere from a third to 50% of us will experience some sort of sexual or physical harm. It's really crazy. It is. It is. And how seriously nobody really takes that though, because it's like, we're seen, and that's another thing, is that we're seen as adult much earlier than any other race is seen as an adult. Like mm-hmm. not even really getting a chance to enjoy your childhood. I forgot to write down the name of this documentary, but I'm going to have to talk about it when I open up the podcast. But a documentary that was just talking about how, you know, if you have another race of girl, how, you know, if they do something in school that they weren't supposed to do, for example, you know, they'll get a warning like, oh, you, you know, you can't do that again or whatever. But to a black girl, it'll be like, oh, you know better. You know better. You knew better than to do that. The same exact age, the same exact exact thing. And the consequence can be so different for another race and a black girl. So it's just automatic. Like people just see us as older and mature faster. And we're supposed to just roll with that. And I have a big problem with that. Like Kids need to be kids. And I'm trying to keep my kids being kids as long as they possibly can. Don't be expecting them to be little adults. And that's a huge problem Mm -hmm. in the Black community, period. Like, oh, so now I'm a little adult. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. A kid is supposed to function as a kid and mature in the way that everybody else gets to mature. And Black women and Black girls really don't get to do that. Yeah. I mean, I saw it was some article I was reading preparing for this. And it said that girls as young as five years old, black girls as young as five years old are seen as grown or older than they are, especially when you look between the age of five to 14. That's when they're really expected to be mature. And it almost like doubles when you enter areas where there's like more poverty or more disenfranchisement because a lot of times those girls are put in positions where now they have to step up. Maybe you're babysitting younger siblings, maybe you're running errands. So now it's like, oh, I could put all of this on her or she has to step up. So because she's stepping up and she's doing it, I can now put these adult expectations on her, you know, and she can be seen as an adult and ready for adult things. And especially when you're talking about sex, sexual misconduct, you know, where it's like, well, she's grown enough to do this or that. She must be ready to handle X, Y, Z. And I know like, I know in my own life, I was getting advances from men as young as 11, 12 years old. I'm talking grown men. Like, you know, you know, this man is grown and he's advancing himself at me and expecting me to want to do something and shocked when I'm like, uh, this is weird. You know, what are you doing? It's just, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And even for an adult male to see a child, a child like that, that is the lack of protection. 
Like <laughs> you should, your eyes yeah. should even be shifting that way towards a child. Anybody under 18 years old, you shouldn't even be looking in, at them in that light. So now you put an expectation on me and I'm like, okay, so am I supposed to like this? Or is this supposed to, am I supposed to feel a certain way? And am I wrong or bad for not feeling that way? So there's mm-hmm. so much connected to that which is really, really disheartening to me. It really is. Mm -hmm. So I wanted you to give me an example of a time where you felt like you had been silenced or shamed. So when I was silenced or shamed, I would say that would definitely go back to that same first boyfriend because he just was like, he was a mess. The only thing he didn't do successfully was put his hands on me. And when I look back like one or two times, I can say he probably tried. But I would say, really, I felt this the most in the workplace. When I was working at that same government agency where I was, you know, where I got attacked outside of, I literally felt like I could not bring anything to light, even if it was a real problem, without being silenced, you know? And if I complained too much about something or I didn't catch on to something because the training was poor or it wasn't, like, you know, inclusive of me, then it's like, oh, you're you're too slow. You don't get this. We're going to give the work to this person or this or that. And then they paint, painted me out to be this like incompetent employee that is just not smart enough, just can't catch on. They literally blamed me for everything that went wrong, even when we had interns. And I was not even an intern at this point. And even if I was, it wouldn't matter. But if the intern did something out of pocket, it's like, oh, it's your fault because you're supposed to be mentoring them. Mentorship is not in my job description. Like, you know, they're grown. They're, yeah, they're a college student, but they're grown. So, you know, don't blame me like, oh, this is why they did this or that because you're supposed to take them under your wing. And I mean, literally just pure foolishness. They blame me for anything they could. Everything was my fault. And if I had any problems, any grievances, I was silenced and almost tried to blackball me, you know? So it's that's probably the time that sticks out the most to me. And the workplace is such a huge place where we feel silenced because of the fact that maybe somebody else is not telling us that we have to be silent, but at the same time, we know what kind of problem it can be present for us if we use our voice, right? Mm-hmm. Where you will look at, you know, I don't like to make it a black and white issue, but a lot of the times my problems with black with people on jobs have been with white people, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily a different nationality. And I have the same experiences as you, like, if I had a legitimate complaint about something, I felt like I couldn't really put it out there. Like it was going to become a bigger deal if mm-hmm. I had a complaint about it. But if a white person had a complaint about the same thing, then it was no big deal. They could complain all day, crying, you know, oh, this happened to me and this is such a bad experience for me. I have one good example. And I always use this this example because I'm still going to talk to this white girl about this. I still haven't like broached the subject with her, but there was a, there was a time where we could both get this same position. Right. And so the position was offered to me, the work was offered to me. And she got so angry at the fact that it wasn't offered to her that she went around to everybody and was like, you know, telling little stories or crying, saying Mm. how sad she was because they didn't pick her. They didn't pick her. They didn't pick her. And she never said anything to me. But of course, it's getting around to me that you're crying out to everybody that you didn't get the opportunity that I got. 
Now, if it was the other way around, I would have just been like, whatever, because guess what? We're so used to being resilient that we're just like, whatever, like we get over it fast. We move on. She could not move on for that thing for whatever reason. And before she started complaining to everybody, I was going to offer her half of the work, right? But when Mm -hmm. she started doing that, I was like, girl, you're not getting none of this work. Because why do you feel the need to go around and tell people about everything that you didn't get? We don't do that. And we don't have the opportunity to do that. That's what's the most important thing here is that we don't have the opportunity to use our voice in that way without being seen as too much or extra, or why is Tracy talking about this again? Because this Mm -hmm. should not be a problem. And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, but I should have the same ability to use my voice as a person in a workplace that anybody else should without being seen as extra. And that has not been the case over years and years of working. Mm, Yeah, I remember like this same agency again, because I had a heck of an experience with this government agency. I remember when I got a new job at another government agency, And my supervisor, uh, team leader at the time, you could say, she found out through HR because she had to give the okay for me to leave by a certain date. And she stormed into my office and she was like, why are you leaving? And this and that. And she was resentful because she had paid for all this training for me to move up and get that next level position at the other agency. But I wasn't taking the training thinking I'm going to leave. I was just like, I'm taking it because you're offering it to me. And she started slandering my name all around the agency, telling the higher ups, the executives, anybody that would give a listening ear. But these people actually liked me. The executives that she was talking to and other people, they liked me and they still like me to this day. And they told me, you know, when they'd catch me in the snack room or something, they'd be like, oh, you know, she's going around telling people that you're not going to succeed in this position or that you're sneaky and you can't be trusted and you don't really know the work and this and that. But you're saying that now, but you were just giving me a bonus a couple months ago because I ramped up the program and took it to new levels. So now you're just bitter because I'm leaving. You know, like that's the kind of stuff I don't like. She even would bring it up in staff meetings, cracking jokes at my expense. And I mean, it was so rude and disrespectful and awkward because the people in the staff meeting are looking like this is like you're the the higher up. Why why are you doing this? You know, and I wanted to cuss her clean out, but I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I'm on my way out anyway. (laughs) So I'm going to just let it ride out. But she was doing the most, even when I had to reach back out to her for documents because I was in the middle of a, a lawsuit for accident. I had to get documents from her to prove that I actually did miss work during this accident. So she was being a total B about it. Like it was just, whew, but in, in, But in any situation, I feel like if you would have like voiced your opinion on that, then you would have been doing extra. You would have right. been too much. And it's like, but this woman has been harassing me for months and months and months and keep doing the same thing over and over. But I don't have the right to have, a. it's almost like protection is like linked to us not being able to have a feeling. Like if we have a feeling about something, oh, look at her, she's about to go up. Oh, she's angry. She says, no, I'm allowed to have a feeling. And I might not express that like a white woman expresses it because I have different ways of expressing myself. That's okay. That doesn't mean that I don't get to like, do what everybody else does and vent about something. Right. You know, there should be no difference in that. But in every situation that I felt like I've done that in a workplace, like I automatically have to shut it down because I can feel people looking at me like I'm being too much. Mm -hmm. And it just gets old. Like who want to feel like they too much all the time? Right. Exactly. Like, and it really, 
it really starts in the homes too. And not only black homes, but non-black homes need to erase these stereotypes and these misconceptions and stop seeing black women as these robots or these mules that can just do whatever and deal with whatever. And we don't need to be nurtured because I know for me, like I'm a very outspoken person and I'm very like bold, but that started at home because my parents and, you know, my older brother and stuff, they would always like foster that environment for me. So I never felt like I couldn't say something. I never felt like, uh, you know, if I speak up, I'll be seen like this. My mom is a whippersnapper. She is very outspoken, you know, so it's like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but they helped with that. So as I got older, I was able to speak up because even in the same government agency, I was always being called into the manager, manager's office or the director's office. It's like, oh, you spoke up about this. Oh, you spoke up about that. And I would sit there and repeat what I said. Like, I said what I said. You heard right. And I'll say it again in front of you. Right. And they right. were just shocked. You know, they were shocked. Of course, they labeled me as an angry black woman, but you can see their jaw just drop. Like, I can't believe she's actually <laughs> repeating what she said mm-hmm. and not ashamed, you know, and confident. Because right. it's like, at the end of the day, what are you going to do about it? Especially now that I'm not a student, you can't fire me. Like, you have a lot of <laughs> protection. You, in the government you have a lot of recourse to go through before you can get rid of me now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, so I'm like, I'm real good now. And I was even doing this as a student, but I think that, And you know what? It really goes down to say, like, even though those negative stereotypes are there, it also in the in certain situations can breed a level of like respect because they didn't like me in this place, Mm -hmm. but they did respect me because they didn't make a move. You know, (laughs) even when I was a student, they could have fired me. But the flip side of that is that you are seen as like this strong black woman that don't need no help. And, you know, it's like a double edged sword in a way. It is. And then it's like, how do you as a, you know, I'm talking about girls now, like I'm a mother of a girl. Like, how do you teach that balance between being soft and being strong and still still needing somebody to be there to stand up for you and not always being perceived as I got this? Because something about that, I got this, I got this, I got this. Whatever part of it that we have put on ourselves to make other people not feel like we need help or whatever society has placed on that I need that to go away a little bit because I don't always got this and I don't always want to have it like I want somebody to step in and be like okay I cover you I got this you don't have to worry about that and I think that in so many instances that we've been told so much by society that we're strong that we feel like we always have to have it and I want moments in my life where I don't have to feel like I have to have it. Like, I don't have to have it together to get today. And somebody else will step in and step up right. and protect me, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it goes back to even what you said earlier about, like, Black women being in positions where they have to. So it's like, <clears throat> for me, being a single mother, I have to. And for me, it's an absentee parent situation. So his dad is not involved at all. He doesn't know his dad at all. Nothing. And so it's like, I have to step up and I have to kind of get it all done. And then naturally, you know, some women are more into this in their character, like their innate character. And I'm one of those women, like innately, I'm just more of a go-getter. I don't really need someone to push me. I'm a go get after it. That's just how I am. And then you put me in a situation with single motherhood where now it's like, I'm a go-getter on steroids. Now I'm just like, I got to get it done by any means, you know, because I need to hustle and get it done now. So in a few years, I don't have to, you know, at least that's the goal. But then from the outside looking in, other people might be like, oh, she always got it. Oh, she always got it. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're talking about 
our counterparts and um, men, black men, you know, where it's like, oh, well, she got it. She's able to do this. She, she don't need nobody's help. And it's like, I would like someone to come in and help me be that role model for my son. Maybe it's just taking him out to play ball so I can work and not feel guilty because he's sitting in front of the TV so I can work, <laughs> you know, right. little stuff like that. Or if we are dating and in a relationship where you come in and it's like, oh, the trash needs to be taken out. Let me take out the trash. Like, well, I don't always have to ask. You just kind of anticipate and you step in and it's like, I see she's got a lot going on. Let me go ahead and help out in these ways that can take the load off of her. You know, like, yes, she can get it done, but she shouldn't have to, like you said. So, right, right. And then what part of that is like, do we have to become softer in some way so they know that it's okay? Because sometimes they feel mm-hmm. like they're stepping over. Like, I know I had that problem. I was a single mom for 15 years. So this is still somewhat of an issue with me too, with my husband, like allowing him to do the stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. we're so used to doing it. And then he's looking at me like she has it, but I really want him to say, you're going to do it, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, without me asking. So I sometimes I don't know how to get past that. Like, I'm getting a lot better at it because even now, like when I had to do the interview with you today, I was like, I was busy all day yesterday. And I'm like, I feel kind of guilty. I don't want to be like spread between this and spread between that. And he has to go to me and look me straight in the eye and be like, it's okay for you to do the things that you need to do. So mm-hmm. to me, that's like protection, right? Because yeah. in my mind, I'm telling myself it's not okay. And I think that white women get that so much more than black women do, where it's okay for them to like, they can like frolic in the flowers all day, okay? (laughs) (laughs) If I frolic in the flowers for five minutes, I feel like I should have been doing something else. Like, it's this like, almost like we need to be grinding every single second and we Mm -hmm. don't know how to like relax and let other people kind of take care of the load. But then at the same time, it's like, no one is really asking us to take care of the load. So it's like, where's the... And, you know, I had this conversation with some of my male friends a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about this on live. And I was just like, because um, one of them, he's married. And he just said that for him, he feels like Black women for too long have kind of championed the whole independent Black woman thing. So it's like, I don't need a man. I got it. Because when you think about it, we're very educated. I think we're, if not the most educated group in the country, the second most. We're in the top three. I know that. And we also are creating businesses at the fa- at the fastest rate compared to any other group of people in this country. Black women own the most businesses and we're creating the most at the fastest rate. So when you put all this together, despite our setbacks, despite the fact that we are the most likely to get physically harmed, we are the most likely to deal with um, being arrested. We are the, the most likely to be in single parent households, but we're rising above and rising to the occasion. It can create kind of this atmosphere of like, well, I don't need you. Like, I, you know, and where you wear that as a badge of honor, instead of coming from a place of like, like for me, I always say now I'm at a stage of my singleness where I can say I'm truly content, where if God did not have a, a husband for me, I am okay. Now, will I still desire it? Of course, I'm human, but I don't think my life would be over as it would have been 10 years ago if you told me that marriage might not be in my future. So do I need a man to survive? I don't. Do I want one and appreciate one? Yes. And I let that be known. So I don't rock that whole independent black woman da 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 type of badge. And he said he see, he's seen it so much. And he was like, the problem is when you say stuff like that enough, then you're going to start to get the reaction from the other party. So if Black men hear that enough and they see it enough and they're constantly being told, we don't need you, we got this, 
we're doing it on our own. And when black women come together, it's such black girl magic. Then the black men are going to be like, you know what? I don't even feel like I can enter this arena because they're like, they're so powerful. They're getting it. They're killing it. So where do I fit into this? You know? And so it is, it is a balance to let them know, like, we're doing all this great stuff, but we still need you. We still value you. You know, that doesn't mean that I don't need you and you don't have a place in life in, in the way, the order of things, because we're accomplishing this stuff. But I think maybe we need a little bit more of that, that appreciation, that verbal affirmation. Like, you know what? We we still love you. We still need you because if we don't have you, who else do we have? We can't be there for each other as Black people. Who else do we have, you know? Right. And I think that's so important what you said, the difference between a want and a need. You know, it's like, yes, okay, so I've been, you know, I'm a whole grown adult. Like, yes, I've established some things and I'm able to take care of some things, but I still need somebody to come alongside of me and be that help. And I guess with them knowing that, like them really feeling secure in that, because of course, Black men have their own gamut of issues that they're dealing with too. So if they are like in this place where they feel like their ego is not being stroked, or they feel like you know, they're on the outskirts of everything, then yes, it's very hard for them to enter that place. So that's, those are even conversations that we need to have as well, you know, about Black men not being afraid to like enter this place of a Black woman. Because I feel like a lot of the times they, they put it off as not being afraid, but they are very afraid of someone being strong and being able to take care of themselves. But again, we've been put in these situations and it goes way back to slavery. We've been put in these situations when they took the husband from us and we had Mm -hmm. to do it. There was no choice about it. So letting them know that I'm only doing this because I have no choice. Right. Not because I want to. It's because this is the situation I've been put in at this time. So I'm going, I'm not going to just lay down on the floor and die. Like what am I supposed to do? (laughs) So I'm going to take care of it. But at the same time, I want you to be the one who comes in and does other things for me. And I think that we need to be more vocal about that, like you said, and not come from this like strong, independent black woman, like I don't need no man, like this whole, like every song from the nineties and the early two thousands. I'm like, come on, like (laughs) we're running them away left and right. Okay. Exactly. We need to to, like, that's what I'm talking about. Find that balance between getting it done and softness. Like where is it? Like where's the middle? You know, but it's hard too because, like you said, bringing it back to the '90s and early 2000s, every song was praising that. <laughs> we all know with I N D E P. You know, like <laughs> so it's like that. In the Miss Independent, I got my own. She don't need nobody. Even Neo had a song about it, like right. you know. So it's like the same men that are saying that they're not feeling welcomed. It's like at one point in time, collectively, y'all were praising us being independent. You were praising us footing the bill. You were praising us doing it all. You were praising us not needing you and you just, I guess, being arm candy or whatever. So now (laughs) that that's been the case too long, then it's like, wait a minute, we didn't quite like it. Like, we don't quite like it. We want to go back to where you kind of need us. So it's like, you got to be careful what you champion too, because a lot of times women are kind of following the flow of men, whether we realize it or not, you know, because we're socialized to want to get male attention. We're socialized to want to be a Affirmed by men from a young age. Most little girls are already talking about marriage by the time they're six, seven years old and all that. You know, so if a man is saying, like, 
oh, this is what we like. This is that, and this is that, and this is that. Then it's like, you know what? Let me go ahead and align myself with what he's saying is good so I can get that affirmation and possibly catch me a good man, you know? So it's like, it, it's both because we're feeding into each other and it's this constant kind of cat and mouse. Like, do you like this? Okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, you don't like that? All right, we're gonna go over here. And so we have to be like forthcoming with what we want but we have to be thorough and we have to understand that everything that you champion is going to have a side effect. So if you're constantly praising the independent boss chick, then that's what you're probably going to start seeing more, you know, more of, more being produced. And that is so true. Like I never really thought about it from that perspective because it is us feeding into that praise. And at, at the same time, it's like, I see you making a song about me being independent, me going for mine. And then I see you go get a white chick and you don't expect her to do nothing. She just on the couch all day eating bonbons. And I'm like, wait a minute. I have to like, I have to physically be up like a workhorse, okay? And doing everything. And then you'll go around and you'll marry a, a person of a different race and you won't make them hold any of that same standard. You won't even ask them to do that. So that yeah. is like a real issue to me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know what, too? It also goes into the masculine, the masculinization of Black women because a lot of times we're not seen as feminine or being able to rest in our femininity because we're getting it all done. And typically we associate that with masculinity. And, you know, white women or lighter and brighter women are seen as the beacon of femininity. When you think of a feminine woman, if a man were to describe that, a lot of times it would equate to being a white woman or the stereotypical white woman in her characteristics, how she would look, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, that's a, another part of it too, because when they get with us, it's kind of like, well, you got to put in work. You got to suffer for the whole ride or die thing. Like you got to put in some work. You got to be there for me, down for me, but you're not expecting them to do that. Why do I have to do it? <laughs> no, you, ha you have to show so much. I mean, you have to give so much more. It's like, what are you going to do for me before we can get into this? And then I look at you after I didn't get all this to like build you up and like get you out there and then you'll leave me and you'll go be with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So like I was just here to do all the building, you know, I'm the building block and then you'll go somewhere else with everything that I put in you and then you'll give that to another person. Yep. So, you know, it feels very uh, counterproductive. Like I'm not going to get nothing out of this. So. <laughs> Like, <laughs> what, what is my point in, in putting all this into you? Because at the end of the day, like, I won't be the one that benefits from it. And it's like, exactly. really disheartening. <laughs> right. You know, you get to a point like, okay, so why am I doing this? <laughs> what, what was the real point anyway? So mm -hmm. what is your thought about, like, um, this whole search for the exotic woman? Um, oh like a goodness. like a black woman is just like a, a black black woman just ain't it no more. You know, you gotta girl, have something in you. What you mix with, <laughs> girl? Like, listen, all right. <laughs> this for me is really stems out of colorism, which is just an effect and a side effect of white supremacy. You know, mm -hmm. so again, with the beauty standards and every the most beautiful woman being European, and there's a hierarchy, there's levels to this because you can be, you know exotic, which we all know exotic typically means either white or lighter skin, looser hair texture, more European features. You can be that, but depending on which circles you're moving in, there's still a hierarchy, you know, how big is your butt? How big is your, you know, your breast and how small is your waist and all this kind of stuff where it's like you want the black, the, the 
features that are associated with black women on non-black bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that is really where the whole exotic idea comes from is the colorism, but I'm not here for it. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, <laughs> and honestly, it, it is a, a self-hate thing, honestly, it, it, it's white supremacy, but the effects of it being self-hate, which materializes itself as colorism and wanting to be with something that you feel like you can't get. Because back then, I mean, up until the 1960s, black men couldn't be with white women or non-black women freely without uh, probably getting killed or definitely some backlash. So it always became like a, a forbidden fruit. And, you know, one of the main points of white supremacy is to paint white women as fragile and needing protection. So the white woman is really at the heart of white supremacy. And it's really like, we're going to put all this in, in play so we protect our white women and create this hierarchy where they are the treasured prize or the height of femininity. And so when you have that forbidden fruit with the height of femininity, and then now we're in a world where it's like, well, I can get me a white woman. I can get me someone who's not Black. Let me go ahead and get that forbidden fruit that my daddy and my granddaddy couldn't get, you know, <laughs> because this right. is linked to success. You know, white people are linked to financial success. They're the, the examples of, you know, just wholeness and living a good quality, enriched life. And Black women are seen as the struggle woman. You know, like I know for me, I've seen online the memes on Twitter and Instagram where it's like, this is how my baby mama looks. And it's an unambiguous Black woman, preferably darker skin, probably not, you know, it, probably plus size or whatever. And then it's like my girlfriend or my wife once I got myself together. And it's a, you know, a lighter skinned white woman or a non-Black woman, Latina, whatever. And she's just looking like, everything you know mm -hmm. and so it's always perpetuating this idea of like if you want to struggle get you a black woman because black women are associated with struggle and even if she's not financially struggling she's going to deal with your mess because she is going to ride for you and be dedicated to the community and we end up guilting black women too unintentionally because it's like if you're not holding down black men then you're guilted you know say you do marry someone who's not black or you date someone who's not black then you're seen as a traitor. And so mm -hmm. what you have is that you have this um, scenario now where Black women, Black men are still marrying Black women predominantly, but they're marrying out at faster rates than Black women. Black women have more loyalty. And these are the numbers, guys. So don't shoot the numbers. <laughs> these are the numbers, right? This is what the research shows. But Black women are not marrying out as fast as Black men. We are very dedicated to Black men. And we, we hold our loyalty to Black men as a result of our our dissatisfaction with white supremacy and racial injustice. So in other words, we use our love life as a platform to advocate against racial injustice in the country. We use it as a platform to advocate, advocate against political issues. Your love life and your politics should not go hand in hand all the time. <laughs> you know? Right. So it's like, this is what ends up happening. And so we are loyal, but they're going to get the forbidden fruit because that is linked to success. That is what they couldn't get. And that is to them what strokes their ego. But honestly, because I always say this too, I'm like, they run out a lot of times to go in and marry and date non-Black women. But those same women don't really hold them down like that a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. 
you know, like you're, you have to come correct if you're going to go to them. But we kind of do ourselves a disservice as black women when we are championing the whole independent, I got it thing, because then you end up becoming the, the struggle woman, the come up woman. Let me get with her when my, when the chips are down, let me get with her when I ain't got it like that. Cause she going to hold me down. She's going to rub my head and tell me how much she loves me and all that. And then when I make it, I'm out. <laughs> And then it just creates a hierarchy again. It enforces the hierarchy of like, this is the bottom of the barrel. I feel like the only time we really appreciate an unambiguous Black woman, 4C hair, darker skin, broad features, is when we are in these seasons of life when we're like woke, you know? So like in the 1970s, <laughs> the whole, I'm Black and I'm proud and stuff. Then it was like, oh yeah, let me get that, you know? And now that we're kind of <laughs> getting into that season again, where there's like a new wave of wokeness and stuff, then it's like, oh yeah, let me look at my Black queens. Let me look at this. Let me look at that. But how long lived is that going to be? That's mm-hmm. my problem. Like, give it a couple years if we're fortunate, if to last, for it to last that long, and y'all going to be back with the exoticals. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all gonna be back with the with the J Lo's and the you know all of them. You ain't gonna be checking for us. Then it's like, when what happened? I thought it was your queen, you know. <laughs> girl, I'm gonna tell you. You said a whole mouthful on that, girl. That was nothing but gems right there. Every everything about that. That's because that is a truth behind a truth. It's like you look at a, a black woman, and I always call it a regular black woman, like a black black woman, like. And if she don't have nothing special about her, then she's not going to be the one that you really are riding and dying for. And I'm like, dang, that is such mm-hmm. a problem to me. Like, that makes me feel like you, I, ha- I have to be something extra. I have to be something up top for you to even look at me, for you to even care for me. Not even as a person that's trying to get in a relationship, but even to just care for me as a person. Mm-hmm. Just strictly a person, it bothers me so much. So before me and my husband got married, his girlfriend prior to me was um, somebody that was of mixed persuasion, right? And so I feel like I had a lot of problems, like trying to figure out why he liked me. And mm. that's so. Isn't that bad that you have yeah. to feel like that? Because I felt like, okay, so if you were over here dating this person and you guys were together then why now do you want to come to a black, black woman? Why am I now the the one that you want to be with? And I struggled with it for so long in our dating relationship. And I won't even lie to say that I didn't struggle with it sometimes into our married relationship thinking like, okay, so am I really the prize that he wanted? You know, Mm -hmm. was, you know, was I second fiddle with, you know, if she was still around or if they didn't like mess up, would he still be like, rocking with that type of person instead of rocking with me. And so our our thought pattern is even screwed up on it because you kind of look around and be like, okay, so you've been doing that. So I don't understand why you would want me. What do you want from me? Basically, mm. you have to want something from me to be here. It's not just that you like me <laughs> or that right. you love me. And that's what, what a horrible way to have to think all the time. Like thinking that somebody is always after something from you and it's not yep. just you as the person that they love or want to be with. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, even and even going back to the hierarchy thing, 
there's still levels even when you get down to the nitty gritty because like for those who don't know what I look like, I am a darker skinned black woman. But my parents, like I had mentioned earlier, are from Guyana, South America. So my dad, you know, when we're getting into the nitty gritty, my dad is Indian and black, like East Indian, you know, his ancestry from India. And so he has very straight, smooth hair. My mom is, and he's darker skinned. My mom's lighter skinned with kinkier hair. She's got black and white heritage. So I have my dad's hair texture. And when I wear it out naturally and it's like wet and curly and stuff, I've had men approach me just because of that. So even though I am darker skinned, if he's really into the texturism thing and he wants that quote unquote good hair, which I can't stand, when people say that, then he'll be like, I'm going to go for her rather than this light skinned woman who has kinkier hair because she's got the quote unquote good grain of hair. And so I've had men tell me that like, oh, I only approach you because of your hair or, oh, I like your hair and they're so pressed about it. And then to go even further and tell me that I'm not black and they're so glad that I'm not just black American or I'm not just black this or that. And I'm just like, I will check a man quick when he tells me because I have a zero tolerance for all of that. No colorism, texturism, no isms around me. <laughs> like we gonna check this. So I would tell them like nah that's that's not cool, you know? And it really does create that environment, like you said, where you're like, ah, you want something from me. What is it? Like, you know, let the right opportunity come. You're going to leave me high and dry because it creates an insecurity within us. Like, we're only good for something. Like, you want something from me, whether that's a come up, sex, money, whatever. And that's not a good place to be in at all. Because when you have a low sense of self-worth, it shows up in other areas of your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, is that I love what you said that when you come, when they come to you with that colorism, texturism, like you nipping in the butt right away. And I think that we all need to do that for each other, right? Because I'm your keeper, you're my keeper. So mm-hmm. you don't get to say that, oh, I just saw, oh, because you got good hair or you must be mixed. And it's like, no, I'm going to stand up for every black woman. And see, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. It's like, we okay so in certain instances another woman would say oh yeah like i do have that or i am that instead of saying that no this is the thing i am a black woman and i protect and i stand up for every sister that looks like me instead of being a competition like okay that's my competition okay yeah you don't like that kind of kinky hair yeah you're right you shouldn't like that because that's not cute you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we do that to each other as well so when I say that there's really nobody standing in for you, like you are on your own island. Yes, yes. It's like you got to help affirm each other. You have to because it will really make you feel some type of way. And I know we all know that one person that's like, oh, I got Cherokee in me. No offense if you legitimately do have Cherokee you know, if you're listening. But I, I can guarantee, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I can guarantee some of y'all ain't got no Cherokee in you. I hate to break it to you, but some of y'all ain't got no Cherokee. And it's okay. You're still beautiful. That's what you need to realize. You don't have to try to go way back in your ancestry and pull out that one cousin that was from a tribe or from another country and be like, but see, I'm not black. You are black. You are beautiful. You be your blackest, beautiful self, period. Whether it's 4C hair, dark skin, you are gorgeous. And listen, other ethnicities are trying to mimic you. Why do you think they over here color, like getting these deep tans and black fishing and all of that, getting lip injection? They want to be you. So walk in your goodness, fix your crown. And if a man comes with you, comes to you with that nonsense, nip it in the bud, sis, period. Like, don't, because we have to start being the gatekeepers and like monitoring and setting the bar. Like, that's not okay. And if we start setting the bar higher, then they won't have a choice but to come a little bit more correct, you know? 
and that's the truth. It's all in, it's all in protection of each other. So once you say something bad about one black woman, if I show up and say no, you are not allowed to say that. Then that nips that in the bud, and I I think that people respond to that. Like we sometimes shy away from being the people that say no, I'm not standing for that. But if you go to somebody and say, look, it is what it is. This is what it is. Then they'd be like, oh, okay. So I see where she coming from. She gonna protect people at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I have this really good example of that, like something that just happened the other day. I'm like a really big part of my kids' PTA, right? And so we have this um, seminar coming up on w- racial equality, right? And so I'm the only black person that sits on the board for the PTA. So somebody asked me if I was going to go to the seminar, which, okay, like I don't mind going to the seminar. I signed up for the seminar. I'm going to go anyway. But are you going to the seminar would be the bigger question. Right. And so, you know, because I've been feeling some type of way. Like, I'm like, like, why are you asking me if I'm going? So then I'm like, when I put myself out there and be like, okay, so look, yes, I'm going. I signed up for the seminar, but I think we should all be doing that. And see, people don't expect you to say things like that. Like, no, don't put that on me because I'm not the one that needs to learn how to treat people equally. I already know how to do that. <laughs> that might okay. be a job for you. So I think that going back to just like standing in your firmness and saying, no, this is not what I'm allowing. This is what I'm allowing. And then people look at that and be like, okay, so she ain't for none. We can't pull nothing past her. We can't pull the wool over her eyes. And she's going to protect her people at all costs. And yeah. if we all band together and start doing that and they start seeing that, there's not going to be no end. Like you're not going to be able to get in and sneak in on this side and say some snide or crude thing about mm-hmm. a black woman. And I'm not going to clap back at you. Basically, right. Period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. am my sister's keeper. I am. Yep. I'm only as strong as my sister is strong. Yes. I might be uplifted in that moment, but at the end of the day, I just affirm something that could have really bad ripple effects. So if a guy's coming up to me like, Oh, you got that good hair. That's why I talk to you. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, my dad, the Indian and this and that. And then it's like, at the end of the day, I'm basking in the glory and I'm affirming to him like, oh yeah, if she ain't got hair like mine or smoother, then she's not pretty. That's the subliminal messaging that you're saying. So then now when you want to come back and be like, well, you got to respect black women and you got to protect us and love us, then they can pull on these examples throughout various times of their life and be like, well, I dated a girl and she did this and I dated a girl. She used to talk about black women like that. And so it's like, you're almost shooting yourself in the foot because if you ain't even got unity, they're not going to take you seriously. You know, it's like we've done the work physically to protect um, particularly black men, but we have to do the work to help ourselves while we are, because we're doing it for everybody else anyway. You might as well do it for each other. Everybody else, you will go, You, as a black woman, you will go protect a white woman before you protect another black woman. So you Mm -hmm. out here doing, you literally are out here doing it for everybody else. And then you look at the other black woman and be like, Mm-mm. I'm not trying to do that for her today. I'd be like, well, dang. <laughs> you, you literally did it for every other person in life. So exactly. that, that's a good part, part for us to come to about. So what do you think are some solutions that can make us feel valued and heard and accepted by Black men, by Black women, period? I say definitely like it starts in the home because the home is the first school really that your kids are going to see. So if you're a parent on this, uh, listening to this podcast, definitely like take some inventory of how you're parenting, you know, how am I fostering an environment 
for my my sons and daughters, if you have both or whoever, to feel like they're appreciated? Am I verbally affirming them and am I showing that in my actions? Because you need the talk and you need the walk. They need to feel it. They need to see it. So take that inventory and encourage your kids to speak up, particularly your Black girls, because we we empower our Black boys to speak up and we give them that little extra attention. But we expect our Black girls to just get in, in line and figure it out. And it's like, she needs the opportunity to be a little girl because she ain't grown until she's 18. So let her have that moment, you know, and really empower her to speak up and take agency over her space, over her thoughts, to be confident and to remind her, you have to remind her as a parent too, that like, you are beautiful, you are smart, you're capable of anything, but because you're capable, that doesn't mean you look down on somebody else or because you look a certain way, that doesn't mean you look down on somebody else. You respect all people, you know, you still, like, you still need community and not just community that looks like you. So it's a balance. And then I think also um, for black women, it's really getting to that point where you understand I am my sister's keeper. You know, like we've been saying, it's like, I have to, I have to be an active participant in the change I want to see. Cause at the end of the day, I am a black woman. I ain't ever going to be nothing else. So it's like, I, I gotta be an active participant. If I want to see more respect for black women, if I want to see more protection, more affirmation, I need to be an active participant in that. And I also need to check people when necessary, when that's not the case. You know, if you see a black woman getting ridiculed, being teased, whatever, like step in, don't be afraid to step in and speak up, you know, because a lot of times we are afraid. It's like, well, I don't want to be, and I've, I've even heard black men say this, like, oh, well, I don't want to step in because I don't want to be in the middle of a dispute and this and that, the third. Obviously use discernment, you know, if the situation is something that's volatile, violent, whatever, please use discernment, but definitely like, don't be afraid to step in and help somebody out, you know, if it is something where you can. And just letting these people know, like, especially men, when it's not okay, when something's not okay, when something is okay, and give solutions. Because the same men that I, were talk- that I was talking to that said, like, when Black women get together, so much Black girl magic, um, they were like, you know, we, like, how can we improve? Like, these are two Black men that wanted to know what can they do. And I was just like, you know, I'm kind of being put on the spot right now because I was on the, <laughs> the live. So I, was like, I feel like we spend so much time just like yelling for attention, like protect black women, protect black women, that we didn't really sit and think about how that looks. So I'm like, now we got to actually sit and think, what does protecting black women mean? And what are some actionable steps that we can take to get there? Because we have a lot riding against us. We have the world riding against us, white supremacy, body shaming, you know, the school systems, the this, the that, the third. And then the last thing we need is to be broken within our own community. Because the longer we stay broken and pitted up against each other, the longer it's going to take for us to get to the solutions that we need. So, you know, I would say that, like, really sit down and think, too, what does protecting Black women look like for you? And start having these conversations. And don't let it die down either, because that's one thing I hate when we hit these waves and we're like, yeah, we're about Black power, da 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 since June, it's died down mighty quick. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the conversations are still going, but I feel like now if you're having the conversation, it's almost like you're the wet rag. Like you still talking about colorism, you still talking about white friend, like, you know, like let's just be happy. I, I want to be happy like the next person, and I am happy, but we someone gotta have the conversation. So that's right. why I'm always here for these talks. And we gotta keep it going. We gotta keep the conversation going. We gotta 
keep it at the front of people's minds. Otherwise, it'll just be a memory. Like, oh, remember 2020 when everybody was into protecting Black women? And (laughs) Right, exactly. When we cared for those five or six months and then we went back to normal. Yeah, it's true. Like, you have to keep it at the forefront. And it doesn't always have to come across as a fight. And I think that's why people might shy away from it. No, it could just be a conversation. You know, we have conversations about everything else. We literally go out here and want to learn about everything. Why can't we have these conversations about what is important to us? Because what's important to me to feel protected is definitely going to be different from what you need to be protected. And so we have our small communities where we can have these conversations and then we can bring them to the larger communities and we can try to get some of this solved because it's been far too long. It really has. And we should mm-hmm. not still be in the same situation. So, Dell, I appreciate you so much. Like, this was life, okay? We were <laughs> half on script, half off script. But, girl, that was okay. That was, that was wonderful. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, again, I want you to tell everybody where they can find you at so they can come follow you and hop on this train because she is amazing. Thank you. (laughs) But if you want to follow my lifestyle motherhood page, that's more of like my personal blogging page, then check out daily underscore Dell. It's D-A-I-L-Y underscore D-E-L-L-E. And if you want to join the life coaching movement, get on board. It's ground floor right now. I have so many exciting things, but that's just my name at Rondell Martin, R-O-N-D-E-L-L-E Martin one word and then you can follow my mom's page all one word at mama martin's kitchen spelled exactly like it sounds and she does caribbean cooking classes and she's got kitchen merch coming out so you'll mainly see my mom over there but i help with the technology and the marketing so that's all the places you can find me and my youtube is daily dell as well two words Oh, yeah. Catch the YouTube, y'all. Really. Make sure you catch the YouTube. (laughs) She just had one on Friends. I was like talking back to the screen like I was like talking to Dale. (laughs) So, again, thank you so much, Dale. I appreciate you for having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Melanated Mom podcast. Let's stay connected. Read my blogs over at melanatedmom.com. Stay connected with me on Facebook at melanated-mom, on IG at melanatedmompodcast, and my new Twitter account at melanatedmom1. Talk to you soon.